Vox Quick Hits. We all know the story of the Founding Fathers and the fight against taxation without representation. That fight continues in Washington, D.C. to this day for the 700,000 people who live, work, and pay federal taxes there. Making the District of Columbia state has gained momentum in recent years. In 2020, Democrats in the House of Representatives passed legislation to grant D.C. statehood. But it didn't go anywhere in the Senate, which was then controlled by Republicans. The Constitution begins with our beautiful preamble, we the people, setting out our founders' vision of a government of, by, and for the people of the United States. It doesn't say except for the District of Columbia. Yet for more than two centuries, the residents of Washington, D.C. have been denied uh, their right to fully participate in our democracy. Now that Democrats have a majority in the Senate, D.C. still isn't sailing towards becoming the 51st star on the flag. As long as the filibuster is in place, the idea is basically dead on arrival. Vox Policy reporter Jerusalem Demsis is here to lay out the politics around turning the nation's capital into a state and how close this is, or frankly, really isn't, to becoming a reality. What is D.C. losing out on without statehood? There are a lot of things. Primarily what people have talked to me about is that when you don't have control over your legislative policies or even full control over your budget, everything that D.C.'s council and the mayor is doing is always in the lens of, well, will Congress let us do that? So broadly, that kind of impedes a lot of the work that D.C. policymakers want to do. More specifically, especially during COVID, we've seen a lot of harms come to D.C. residents. Specifically, when we look at the $2 trillion CARES Act, D.C. was actually categorized as a territory and not a state. Every state in the CARES Act was given a minimum of $1.25 billion. D.C., because it got that uh, classification, only received $500 million. And this is right as it's trying to fight the pandemic. And many folks would say like, well, D.C. is smaller than a lot of these places, but states like Vermont and Wyoming, which have smaller populations than D.C., also received that full $1.25 billion to help their residents deal with the pandemic and help their businesses and workers get through the really beginning hard parts of this crisis. And then, you know, there are there are a myriad of other policies that D.C. has wanted to pass. D.C. is not able to legalize tax and regulate uh, marijuana. It is also not able to provide funds for low-income women to receive abortion care if they choose. Most notably, that was a really big deal in the 80s and 90s, is that D.C. was actually banned from implementing a needle exchange program to reduce HIV and AIDS transmission among intravenous drug users. And One advocate I talked to said that that really stuck out to him because it just indicated just how clearly D.C.'s lack of statehood was actually costing lives. And to be clear, if D.C. were to become a state, it would be the third smallest state. So it's not like completely outlandish. Exactly. I think one of the interesting things, too, is that opponents of statehood very rarely advocate for including D.C. in Maryland or Virginia, which would be a way of getting around some of the political complications of creating a 51st state. So it's very clear that people are just not actually talking in good faith when they make the argument that D.C. is too small and therefore doesn't deserve representation. How would D.C. statehood even work? H.R. 51, the Washington, D.C. Admissions Act, is a bill that 
sought to create the state of Washington, D.C., which would become, instead of the District of Columbia, it would become the Douglas Commonwealth in honor of Frederick Douglas. And what would essentially happen is that it would take most of D.C., the residential portions of D.C., uh, essentially almost the entirety of the city, except for the federal buildings, things like the White House, the Capitol, federal monuments, the Supreme Court and other buildings. And those would remain the District of Columbia, but the rest of it would become a state or a commonwealth, similarly to how Virginia and Massachusetts are commonwealths. And, you know, there are some technical questions here because the Constitution does specify that the District of Columbia gets three electoral college votes. So we would need to figure out what to do so that, you know, the (laughs) residents at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and the few other people who live in near federal buildings don't just get three uh, votes. But there's easy ways to do that. Um, Ian Milheiser, one of my colleagues, suggested that Congress just pass a law giving the district's electoral votes to whichever presidential candidate would otherwise win the electoral college, or even the Congress could just award those votes to the national popular vote winners. There are lots of ways to deal with some of these potential political ramifications. But, you know, we've added states in the past. You know, everyone knows this. We began as just 13 colonies and we've added several states since then. And that's just something that uh, has been a part of American history. So I'm kind of curious what the political dynamics are in play here. I would imagine a lot of people who live in Washington, D.C. would like for it to be a state. But what about Democrats versus Republicans? D.C. statehood is favored by D.C. residents. Um, it's been put to them several times. and There's been a lot of polls showing that they would they would prefer to be a state. The larger national popular opinion is more mixed. Um, there was a recent Data for Progress poll, which had the it had an all time high of 54 percent of voters agreeing with making D.C. a state. But, you know, there's also a Rasmussen poll in March uh, around the same time that 538 reported, quote, primed respondents to oppose statehood, where only 29 percent of adults favored statehood. I think what's actually happening here is very few people have a really firm opinion on whether or not D.C. should be a state. And it really depends on how they're being asked the question. When it comes to politicians, um, especially in Congress, Democrats have become pretty unified on this question in recent years. This actually passed last session in the House for the first time in American history. So, This is not new for Democrats to be united on this, but it it has happened only in the last few years. And Republicans have been pretty opposed. And that has a lot to do with the fact that D.C. is overwhelmingly Democratic. Ninety two percent of D.C. voters selected Joe Biden to be president in 2020. So that's a big part of why there's opposition in Congress from Republicans. D.C. becomes a state, basically, and Democrats get two Democratic senators. Exactly. Um, they get two Democratic senators and they would get one congressperson right now. Um, there is a non-voting representative in Congress that represents D.C. That person would now get a vote and there's a very slim margin in the House. So every individual vote would really help Democrats in this moment. So how close is this legislatively to becoming a reality? Well, last week, the House passed H.R. 51, making D.C. a state. So we now have it moving to the Senate, and it is extremely unlikely for it to go anywhere at this point. Um, Democrats would either need 10 Republicans to decide um, to vote against their own partisan interests in this case and, and help D.C. become a state, or they would need to reform the filibuster either to ensure that you would only need 50 votes to actually make D.C. a state, or they could um, reform the filibuster to make voting rights something that don't need to uh, reach the 60 vote 
threshold. But regardless, both of these are really unlikely. Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who's a moderate member of the Democratic caucus, has been very, very, very clear that he's not interested in either reforming or um, eliminating the filibuster. So while this is the furthest that D.C. proponents of statehood have gotten in terms of um, making D.C. the 51st state, it is likely to die in the halls of the Senate. So in the same way it did last year. Exactly. For somebody who hasn't thought about this much or maybe isn't convinced that Washington, D.C. should be a state, maybe doesn't live there, you know, what would you say to them as they think about this? Because as you sort of hinted, this isn't something that most people just think about. I think the biggest thing here is that there are 700,000 people in the District of Columbia. All of them lack the ability to select a representative that represents them in the Senate and in Congress, uh, in the House of Representatives. And that has a lot of unseen benefits. When your senator calls the White House and says, this is something that's important to me or makes a stink on the Appropriations Committee um, about something that's relevant to your state or locality, that can make a big difference in the lives of people on the ground. There are a lot of solutions here. I think statehood is what the people of, of D.C. want, but there has to be some way to ensure that people in D.C are able to have self-government and are also able to have the same rights as someone who lives just across the border in Maryland or Virginia. And uh, right now, we're failing 700,000 Americans. They don't have the same voting rights. They don't have the same right to even pass policies that represent their political opinions. And I just think that that's something where we're just failing American citizens and it's arbitrary. Yeah, this is an interesting subject. As somebody who doesn't live there... It's just not something I think about, yeah. but it's important. It's really weird because I grew up in Maryland, right on the other side of D.C., mm-hmm. and it's just like so odd. I shifted over to D.C. for the first time this last year, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I, my ballot was so small. I was like, what is this? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me. Of course. Jerusalem Demsis is a policy reporter at Vox, and you can find her on Twitter at Jerusalem Demsis. I'm Emily Stewart, and this is Tell Me More. Our producer is Sophie Lalonde. You can find more stories from Vox in the Vox Quick Hits feed wherever you get your podcasts.